Welcome to More Than A Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, with no VAR, no money, hardly any overseas players, semi-pro players filling out the squads, real logistical challenges and non-existent viewership, the NSL is back to finish what it started. With an entire oil-rich state and the world's best lawyers behind it, and after contributing to the further destabilisation of cost control rules, which will add an extra zero or two to its balance sheet, while furthering endangering small clubs already devastated by years of financial erosion and now the coronavirus pandemic, Man City is back to finish what it started. And with Leicester, Sheffield United, Wolves and even Burnley fighting for spots in the top six, the old first division is back to finish what it started. Uh, back to finish what they started, uh, to labour a few bad puns and to talk a bit of football too. Uh, Jesse and Damo, how are we, boys? Good, mate. I'm uh, very good. That that intro was brilliant today, so... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give it many practice reads before going on and I got halfway through and I was thinking, oh, gee, that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, of course, Colby and uh, thanks everyone for uh, tuning back into more than a game. Um, big show today, uh, everyone. We're um, we're back with the A League's Festival of Football. Uh, it's finally kicked off uh, to literally hundreds of viewers, um, and plenty going on in the Prem as well as we get down to the last couple of match days. Uh, but boys, first, what stood out for you? Uh, we'll kick off with you, Damo. Uh, my moment of the week this week is, and I'm sure you guys have seen it. Was it's two part, I guess. It was Wickham were promoted to the Championship for the first time in their history. And on the back of that was, you know, quite a sensational on-field interview with Adebayo Akinfenwa, who he's one of those characters in football that we all love to see. And I think we, we might link, I think we already did link the uh, interview on, on Twitter. So I'm sure you guys have seen it, but he, he's just such an entertaining character. And I think he's also signed a one-year contract extension and he'll be 39 next year playing in the championship, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, this is this is great. I, I loved this story, especially, yeah, when, when you tweeted it and um, alerted us to this demo and, and everyone on, on Twitter sort of got around it as well. Um, it's great. But I, I also love the story of Wickham as well. They, they finished outside the playoffs. Um, they voted against the season restart, then got bumped up um, by five league places and went on to win the playoffs, obviously, despite only having 24% possession. And they were uh, they sat bottom of the league in pretty much every possession and passing stat you could you could name. Uh, it's just the biggest uh, shithousery. And, uh, and Akin Fenwa's um, presser and subsequent social media um, storm after the promotion win um, just made it even better. But um, I was just thinking, like, would it be better if we had more athletes just purely being themselves like this? And do you think athletes in in sort of these times are overly media trained? I, I really enjoy characters like him in the game. I, you can't have too many of them because it becomes oversaturated and, you know, it becomes pointless having people like that if everyone's like that. He, he's just a loud personality and he's, he's, his personality is as big as he is a man. So I really enjoy him. Jesse, what about yourself, mate? Moment of the week? Mate, an absolute buffet of moments of the week. Um, I don't even know uh, where to start here. I mean, I think I think it'd be safe to start with my, my wife's birthday. Um, pretty important we uh, acknowledge that one. 
Um, I've been well media trained myself, actually, Colby, in that regard. But um, <laughs> I have to say, uh, there are lots of things to talk about. Um, we'll, we'll come to Matt Ritchie, um, you know, a rich man's Luca Dean's uh, fantastic goal, <laughs> and uh, Raul Jimenez scoring an absolute peach for volley. I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll get to those things, but. Um, I have to say that my moment of the week has to be Speedy calling the Knicks a powerhouse team. Boys, um, it's been a long time. It's been a long time coming. A lot of years of pain and heartbreak and teetering on being kicked out of the league. And all of a sudden, the Knicks are a powerhouse. And I'm just happy to be here, boys. <laughs> oh, I love that. And we, we will definitely get on to... Um, we'll definitely uh, give a bit more um, give a bit more air time to the... Um, the, the commentary that we saw on, on Fox uh, over this weekend um, so far, because it was interesting to say the least. Um, moment of, my moment of the week, boys, uh, I suppose we have to we have to give Leeds a, a little bit of love, even if it's lip service. They're back in the prem. Um, a lot's been said about them in the past sort of 48 hours um, since it was confirmed that they're going to be automatically promoted into the into the Premier League. They've, they've faced relegations, points deductions, heartbreaking playoff losses. They were almost liquidated. They've had multiple owner and managerial changes. Um, so good on Leeds. Um, one of one of the big boys uh, back in the uh, back in the prem. Don't want to don't want to say sleeping giant, but uh, will be great to see uh, Bielsa in the prem. Um, and that brings us to our first listener question of the day, boys. Uh, Gus Crouch on Twitter wants to know um, what do you what do you make of what are you going to make of Bielsa's first season in the prem predictions? Look, I think Leeds will struggle for a couple of years. They'll be like. I don't think they'll finish top half in the Premier League, especially to begin with. If you look at their squad at the moment, it's it's not a Premier League squad. The club don't have Premier League money, although they're leads, you know, and they consider themselves a huge club. Financially, they're a championship level club at the moment. So they're just going to be like any other promoted team. And, you know, having a lot of fans doesn't make you have a lot of money in the Premier League. So it's going to be a graft. Um, I think they'll be battling relegation. You never know. They could surprise a lot of people. You know, Bielsa is a talented manager, but it'll be interesting to watch. I think they'll get a feel-good uh, feel sort of crowd as far as following, and, and that might even extend to the players because you've got players like James Milner we've mentioned before, but you've got other players who have got um, got ties to Leeds who, you know, <clears throat> the conversation has never been that they haven't been at Premier League level for a while. So now that they are, uh, there might be a few players that go back. Yeah, that's right. And um, if if you want to um, if you want to find out who to watch, um, I think it was two two podcasts ago. You can go back and have a listen to that. Um, huge Leeds United fan and friend of the pod, Biggers, uh, called in and, and gave us a, a few players from the uh, from the championship to watch in the Prem next season. And um, there was about four or five or, or maybe six different uh, Leeds players in there. So you can, if you if you want to brush up on on who to look out for, go back and listen to that. Um, and you can, of course, send us your questions, comments, or any hot takes anytime on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, just find us on More Than A Game Podcast on Facebook or at MTag Podcast on Twitter and get into our mentions or DMs. Uh, own goals this week, boys. Uh, Jesse, let's, let's start with you. What stood out to you in the wrong way, mate? Well, boys, I think my own goal has to be just English commentators and media getting swept away in the narrative. There it is, that word. Um, just nurturing this alternative reality, which then feeds Twitter and social media and that sort of thing to do with um, just hyperinflating stuff to do with the relegation and just kind of like 
with the commentary, for example, I noted a few things I saw early in the week. So you've got Villa's game um, where they score in the 70th minute. And um, the, the commentary is that that could be the most important goal ever in Villa's history, you know. And then within, <laughs> you know, a, a few minutes of the end of the game, shock horror, Villa concede. And all of a sudden it's who saw that coming? What could that now mean for Villa's survival prospects? You know, you cross over to the Brighton game. They score in the 25th minute. And the, the, the words were, that surely now is Premier League safety. And then Southampton score, obviously. And it's like, what, what does that now mean for Brighton? This will make them sweat now. So this kind of crap... Um, it's just it drives me nuts when I watch this kind of stuff because it's like no one really at home is actually thinking in that way it's just that the, the commentators want a narrative and they push the narrative and then it's just kind of like they act surprised when a team equalizes but it, it's football you know so I just think it just uh, drives me nuts a little bit and that extends to the whole Liverpool points record thing um, you know they've obviously signed off they're at the beach um, they're playing like shit at the moment, and um, it looks like Jurgen's just tinkering for next season. And it, but yet the the media has been obsessed with this points record, and that's fed social media. So it does drive you nuts a little bit, and gets you gets you a bit triggered. I don't know you don't know what you boys think of that. So I'm frantically just crossing out all of our Premier League season where we just talk about narrative, boys. So uh, just bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> Damo, what about you, mate? Own goal? Uh, look, there's a couple of. Big things that could be own goals this week, but I'm sure we'll get to those uh, after this. But my my own goal is kind of a kind of a blanket disgust at you know the Premier League fans at the moment is you know the, the players of all and the clubs have all come together to support the Black Lives Matter movement and have done it and will do it for the rest of the season. But three players this week in, in the Premier League alone: Tammy Abraham, Wilf Zaha, and David McGoldrick, all publicly posted and called out some of the racial abuse that they've been given off the back end of games. And, you know, when you have fans that question why the players and clubs are still persisting with doing this before every game and having it on their jerseys, this is exactly the reason why. And and good on them for calling it out and good on their clubs for, you know, doing something about it. Can they be doing more, Damo? Can the clubs um, be doing any more or the league? Oh, I mean, you, you can, but I think it's a it's a very hard situation. It's hard to navigate, and no one really knows where to go and how and how to do it. But they're all they're, this is this is a step in the right direction when players publicly call call out this kind of stuff, and and clubs take every legal and action and avenue they can to try and find and and you know make make these uh, I wouldn't call them fans, but make these people have to pay with the letter of the law for what they do. Yeah, I did see one of them get called out um, during the week. I think it was the one that um, said some stuff about Wolf Zaha. I think he got doxxed and exposed and and um, he's going to at least face some kind of consequences um, for his actions. And I think that's that's really what it comes down to. People who are, who are doing these kind of things, particularly on social media and at games under, you know, semi-anonymity, um, really just have to know that there are consequences, real consequences that they could face. And, and that's that's really how um, we're going to get through to these people and, and affect some kind of change. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, my moment of the week this week, boys, actually has to do a little bit with um, Premier League fans and um, poor narrative as well. So I think we're all on the same page this week. It's it's clubs, celebra- clubs fans celebrating things like they've won a trophy but aren't really a trophy. Uh, like Man City's fans celebrating a, a cast win and a 100-point record uh, remaining intact like it's a trophy. Uh, Man United's fans celebrating Virgil van Dijk's mistake against Arsenal like it's a trophy. 
uh, and Arsenal's uh, fans celebrating uh, the fact that Liverpool aren't invincible um, like it's a trophy. So, uh, and that's just to name a few, but um, it's just it's just an incredible own goal. Some of the some of the fan narratives that are out there on, on social media. And is that like West Ham celebrating a four nil win that might keep them in the Premier League like a trophy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I actually think that's fair. I've got, I've got to run that. <laughs> just, just a centre back, a midfielder, and a striker away from Champions League next year, boys. That's it. That's it. They're really building. They're really building top six next year. Um, before we do move on to the to the football, boys, we 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 should really talk about uh, the Man City uh, Court of Arbitration financial fair play decision. Um, so they've been successful in overturning that two-season Champions League ban on appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, during the week this week, it handed down its decision, finding that City um, didn't disguise equity funding as sponsorship contributions, but did fail to cooperate with UEFA authorities. So what that basically means is instead of a two-year ban that they were facing, um, City have now only been fined 10 million euros. And that sets aside the previous decision of the adjudicatory chamber of the club's uh, financial control body, who found that they did, who found that City did contravene FFP. And so, to give you a bit of background, FFP was ostensibly established to prevent clubs from bankrupting themselves, basically, ostensibly to protect smaller clubs. But really, FFP was put in place as a compromise to protect the elite clubs, we all know, um, who were threatening to break away and form a Super League, um, protecting them from the moneyed up newcomers. So essentially, that that prevents clubs who have um, found themselves suddenly backed by rich owners or nations from spending more than they earn and thereby able to sort of catch up to these established elite clubs. So boys... um, now that we're seeing an unwillingness or inability to enforce these FFP uh, regulations against certain uber-rich up-and-comers like PSG and City, what's the point of them going forward? Uh, has this opened up the floodgates to other clubs trying to test whether UEFA will or will not enforce? Look, I, I've i never seen the benefit or the point of the financial fair play regulations I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, I haven't really looked at it that much and I don't really have a huge understanding of how it works or why it's been implemented. But like you said, Colby, you know, in the general perception of football fans is that's the reason why it was made is to protect those, you know, however many it is, 10 to 15 big elite money-making clubs across Europe. Um, so, so I don't know how how they reevaluate it. And I, I definitely think to answer your question that other clubs will now test the boundaries and see what they can get away with. It's just a bit of a kick in the nuts, really. Uh, I think in, in general, because we all sort of, we all sort of know that there's been such an undercurrent of corruption over the years. And we all sort of want to believe that we're moving on from it, but it just, um, it just makes UEFA look so, uh, so, so weak in these circumstances. And that's not a good look. That, that's right, um, and and you got to you got to also think about the the sort of smaller clubs that the the FFP um, you know sort of the other side of the coin your, your Bournemouths and your Stokes your Swanseas West Broms who sort of do play by the rules and don't have nation states uh, behind them um, you know and they they carefully invest over time in line with what they earn only to you know hit a ceiling and just have it all stripped away when they um, inevitably go back down to the championship um, is, is that really a fair outcome? Well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Basically, in short, it's just it's not a it's not a fair outcome. But it's um it's it's as you say it's it's 
basically a result of the financial backing having um, UEFA under the or over the barrel, so to speak. And um, just just on the football footballing side of it, had, had this ban been upheld, it would have been devastating to a club with Man City's aspirations, as they would have missed out on on it, I think the number's something like 150 million to 200 million in lost prize money from the Champions League. Not to mention not being able to get top talent that Champions League football attracts. So with the Champions League uh, already secured um, for next season for City, is this going to take some of the pressure off City's current Champions League campaign? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think if if this was held, you know, this ban was held up, I think there was a huge focus from the club and the fans that they needed they needed to win this year. Um, so I think it definitely takes a lot of the pressure off, uh, you know, that little tournament next month. I agree. I agree to an extent, but I also think that um, there's this sense of desperation now that um, City have had a bit of difficulty getting getting through to the business end of this competition, and um, with some of the, the the teams that like Liverpool and stuff early in the season getting knocked out, um, this is a really really good opportunity for City, uh, especially considering that if they get past Real Madrid, that's another one of the big ones um, out of the way. So I think you're right, Dame. I think it does take some pressure off for next season, but I think it's still this season still has immense pressure for City in the in the in the Champions League because it's an opportunity that they probably um, need to take. Always pressure on um, City to be able to win a, a cup competition as well, and um, you would never put it past them to, to choke, um, especially when faced with um, opposition that are on paper not as good as them um, in, in a cup competition, especially in Europe. Uh, coming up next, the A-League returns. Oh, Davila showed too much of it to Ninkovic. Outside of the boot pass for Bahaja. Marinovic stranded. Trent Bahaja, this is your moment. Sydney FC. In pursuit of that Premier's plates. Ninkovic with the interception. What about the pass to Bahaja? And they might be away again. Bahaja's timed his run beautifully for a quick-fire double against Marinovic. Second chance. Flights it in. Bahaja with two goals in two minutes. The points are safe now. And he is a super sub. Yes, the A-League back with a bang. And Bahaja back with a bang. A quick-fire double for the super sub. All that wraps up the Premier's Plate for Sydney FC. A record fourth Premier's Plate coming their way. So Sydney are just one win away from the Premiership after a Bahaja brace in the last couple of minutes of regular time sealed the win over powerhouse club Wellington at Jubilee. Boys, let's let's just get this out of the way. Um, VAR, first taste of the rest of the regular season with no VAR. Um, we saw a potential handball um, each in the first half, uh, a penalty where Kakache was hacked down by McGowan, uh, a Davila handball, um, and Wellington, a Wellington goal uh, narrowly ruled out for offside. Um, Jesse, I'll let you go first. Uh, what, what's the score if we have VAR, and is that a good thing? Well, I think it was going to be, what was it, 2-1? Um, potentially, maybe maybe if Sydney got a late goal, it would have been a draw, maybe. But um, it looked like it was going to be... Uh, a good result for the next either way, um, but the but the offline the the offside rule was always going to be one of the first things to be um, hurt with VAR if the um, the 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 touch touchline um, assistant got it wrong. That's that's the obvious thing. VAR has been obviously in the centre of controversy with having centimeters and decisions and being a bit over the top when it comes to ruling goals out, but um, it certainly picks up when someone's made a super run. Um, 
right on the edge of that line and unfortunately um, the, the, the Knicks were stung in this in this regard so it was it was a real kick in the nuts as far as the, the Knicks side of things and then you see Sydney go away and, and, and hit those two goals later on and it makes the scoreline look a lot more flattering than it probably should have. And Damo, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the VAR um, and, and some of those decisions? Um, firstly, right right calls uh, or do you think they should have changed or, or are you sort of happy with, with how things fell? I think there's a, in my opinion, there was a couple of uh, poor decisions from the referee that, you know, whether VAR changes that or not, we don't know because it's still up to the discretion of, of an individual's interpretation of the laws of the game. So, I mean, it just gives us a couple of extra angles and extra time to look at it. But, you know, I think my biggest problem is people like people who hugely dislike VAR and, and are completely against the idea of having it have, have justified that, you know, they, they would much rather a game like that where it, it felt like there was blatantly wrong decisions than have to wait two to three minutes every time to make sure those decisions were right or wrong. I, I don't. I don't really understand that that mentality of watching a game and going, "Okay, I know that decision was wrong, but I would rather have a wrong decision than sit around for three minutes and it be changed." Yeah, it seems a bit uh, like it seems a bit rough on on Wellington on um on their performance. Uh, I think they probably deserved a little bit more uh, out of this game, but I I I couldn't put my hand to my heart and look at any of those uh, incidents and say that VAR clearly and obviously got it wrong. So I think for me, the scoreline is fair, but um, you know, Wellington looked like they probably deserved a little bit more out of the match. But uh, again, that's just football. And, and I, like, I, I'd, I'd probably be pretty happy with that. Um, but speaking of the football boys, uh, Trent Bahaja looked very promising uh, in preseason and then did that ACL um, ruling him out for the season. But now because of the uh, coronavirus break he's he's actually got an opportunity to come back and and help um sydney towards um the, the premiership and and even potentially the championship um what what a way to come back boys yeah i think we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago um you know ready for him to come back and and the big question that we that we asked and that everyone has been asking is you know is he going to lose a couple yards of pace with it with his injuries and you can see his two goals were breakaways where he just steamed away from the back. So I don't, mm, it's still still to be seen if and how much speed he's lost, but he looked pretty sharp when he came on um, the other night. And the service he received um, just put the ball perfectly out in front of him, a couple of beautiful passes um, by Sydney. But um, boys, being a powerhouse club, um, considering that we may meet again in the finals, um, it's times like these I look to um, Phoenix fan Chris Martin and uh, lights will guide you home and ignite your bones but I will try to nix you <laughs> <laughs> very good oh my goodness um, and, and speaking of speaking of narrative boys um, uh, Rene Piscopo uh, scored his second goal of the season uh, from the penalty spot and looked pretty lively uh, but soccer Twitter decided quite early that the narrative of the night was to absolutely froth him. Uh, Damo, are we just desperate to hype up young talent, or is Piscopo the real deal? I think he's good, but I, yeah, like you said, I think he was it was a bit hyped his performance. He, I think he was actually at that level for maybe the first ten to fifteen minutes of the game, and soccer Twitter just didn't didn't um, stop hyping him up throughout, even though he went missing for huge periods of the game. But I think I think it's good to to try and put players like this in, in a bit more of a light, especially like you said in the intro that 
there's a lot of international players and stars that haven't come back and it feels like these teams are mish, mishmash of young players and state league players and it's an opportunity for players like him and Bahaja to take that step and and of course with the Olympics being delayed they're all back in the shop window to get selected for the Olympic team so it's good and, and the pressure might be a good thing or it might be a bad thing but I guess we'll find out. Uh, and Damo, I think you had a question for us um, during this match that I'll that I'll ask to Jesse. Um, is there any difference in the way you pronounce Devere and Davila? Yeah. Well, I mean, guys, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a, um, I'm certainly not your, um, you know, your Spanish or South American, Central American correspondent. But um, I will say that I, I'm pretty sure if you have two um, two L's together, it's a, a ye sound, right? So if you just have the single L, that's the question, isn't it? it does it become a Devilla or Devilla? Um, but all I know is that we just live in Devilla Loca, and that's just the way you got to go, boys. So, so the reason I asked this question was throughout the game, the commentators were switching up, calling him Devilla or, De, or Devilla. So I was yeah, getting a pick. bit confused. A uh, I thought Big Luke was at mm. both ends of the park. <laughs> Luca Devilla. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, last year's uh, last year's premiers, boys, Perth Glory, shored up their finals hopes um, with a win over the Central Coast Mariners in Gosford, um, thanks to a well taken goal from Dane Ingham. Um, boys, the Mariners, this is their eleventh straight defeat, and they're staring down a third straight wooden spoon. Uh, what went wrong for them in this game, Damo? Uh, what went wrong? Can we rewind the clock to about three years ago and start talking about what went wrong? <laughs> It feels like just three years ago. Every, it feels like every week we talk about every game we talk about the Mariners. We're just trying to f- trying to figure out what's wrong with them and what's wrong with the club. But I don't really know where to start. Well, well I mean, let's a good stick place to, this. to start. Would be how how did they lose their home home stadium to Perth Glory? I mean, <laughs> that's really what the. I mean, it's one thing to you know, it's one thing to be struggling as a club, but to lose lose your home stadium. I mean, that's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, what what an insult to the Mariners! I I, I still I, I'm still perplexed by that. I do not know why this was a designated Perth Glory home match. It's I'm really just scratching my head. I mean, if you've got palm trees and sauce bottles, uh, it's it's a Mariners game, boys. I, I saw a comment on it. Twitter that said, "I really hope that the you know the match day staff kind of played it up and and welcomed the teams as your Perth Glory as they came out." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, to Absolutely. make matters worse, they've got to clean up the commentary box after Boz in there. I mean, Boz really went for it after that first goal, didn't he? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, yeah, Probably we're doing this. Okay, the, so so we did this match did see uh, Bozza and Peacock on comms. Uh, Matt Olson on Facebook wants to know what what we made of it, boys. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the floor, Jesse. Well, I think it's I think it's always good to see when a person scores a decent goal. You know, you, you, the commentators get behind it. One of my pet peeves is when a commentator is 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 not there's not enough. You know, they they sort of undersell the moment, and when that moment is played another three or four years from now, you sort of think, well, that's a great great goal, but what a shit bit of commentary. Um, so I, I don't have an issue with them, uh, you know, getting out the tissues and just going for it. But um, I do think that um, sometimes, uh, you know unless you want to go for Gary Neville, you probably need to rein it in if it's just a standard goal. I thought it was a good finish, but I didn't know if it was worth going um, you know, changing your pants over. And Damo, did any of the uh any any of the, the, the witty banter that was happening in the commentary box uh, stand out to you? Oh, I, I can't put my finger on anything in particular, but just you know, Bozzer at the best of times runs off on these random thought 
trains of thought and these two we we know that they feed off each other and just talk so much shit and i felt like throughout that game there was periods of two to three to four minutes where they forgot they were even commentating a football match and they were just like at the pub having a laugh yeah, that's exactly what my comment was going to be. They they just forgot to call the game. Occasionally. <laughs> yeah, it was like if we <laughs> no, got I mean, together and called the game live while <laughs> we recorded it. This would be this would be what we would do if like, and we've we've been wanting to to call games. I think it would be a fun thing to do for our eleven listeners. Um, but like, I, I, we would forget to call the game as well. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, or whether people like it and need the call. To be but fair. like Jesse said, like history, history often yeah. uh, you know shows in these big moments. Um, you know, good good commentary sort of stands up then. Well, to be fair, the the the, the, the sheer amount of condiments around them while they were commentating probably made them feel like they were at the pub uh, waiting for a palmer. So, I mean, I can't really blame them. Did it, did anyone actually see see the photo that Adam Peacock put on his Instagram? of the two no. of them in the commentary box. So Adam Peacock was wearing jeans and a really baggy t-shirt. And then Bozza had a suit on with a mask and latex gloves. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's an image. Um, speaking of interesting looks, uh, did you catch uh, Aussie Malik's bleached hair and beard look? I mean, I know everyone's had a little bit of an ISO update to their look. A lot of people have, but... I didn't even realize that was him until like 10 minutes after I was on the pitch and they kept saying his name and I had to go and check my app to see if it was actually him or if it was a different Malik. <laughs> I thought we had Dribble C say on. <laughs> and um, boys, just on just on Perth Glory, it was it was really a, a Perth Glory light uh, with no no Castro. He's off camping in WA somewhere. No Economides is injured. No Vutrich, um, you know, he's gone back overseas. He had both poppers starting um who stood out for you in this one i actually thought christian popovich had a really good game you know for for a long time i've thought the popovich boys at the club was kind of like the edwards brothers during that perth glory era it's kind of just they're in the team because dad's the manager and they just kind of ride his coattails but i thought christian had quite a good game and he looks like quite a good player yeah agree with that yeah the boys can the boys can play um i also thought kilkenny had quite a good game and he's um, listeners will know that Kilkenny's not exactly my favorite player. Um, but the, the ball he slid in um, to, to Dingham for his goal was, um, was really intelligent. Um, and, and I thought he just generally uh, was, was sort of up and about and, and, you know, really, really stood out, out really stood up strong. It sounds like the blokes sick of being a runner up to Guinness. <laughs> uh, okay, boys. Well, the, um, the, the festival of football does continue this afternoon um, as we're recording on um, Sunday lunchtime with uh, where Brisbane Raw uh, will have their new manager, Raw and Moon, overseas first match in charge as the Raw take on Adelaide. Uh, and then uh, next week, we've got Sydney uh, Newcastle on Tuesday at Jubilee where uh, Sydney could seal that record fourth premiership. Uh, then you've got Perth and Wellington on Wednesday at Bank West, and then the, then we'll kick back off onto the weekend. But speaking of this um, festival of football, boys, I just want to say, I mean, we've, we, we, you know, we're we're calling it that, but the league are trying to push this twenty-seven in twenty-eight or twenty-seven in thirty-four, which sort of sounds like, um, you know, some shampoo and conditioner marketing executive just lost the plot. Um, <laughs> but 
they're, they're, they're determined. Just just a word before we move on, on on the fixtures. Like, I mean, we're cramming them in. They're, the league are desperate to get it done in New South Wales, um, despite the AFL having moved to Queensland after fears of a New South Wales lockdown. Uh, are the league playing a, a dangerous game, sort of just determining to see it out in New South Wales? Yeah, 100%. I mean... You, you touched on the intro, the logistical nightmare that the A-League have already had. And I, I think the AFL and the NRL have kind of already decided that they're going to take it away from New South Wales in, in the in, under the guise that they could likely go into lockdown again at some point. And the A-League is just like, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. And that that's what got them into trouble the first time was just, oh, we'll play it by ear and we won't make any hard decisions. Is this a broadcasting issue, boys? Is, is it is it the is it where the Fox team and the um and the broadcasters are based? Is that is that why they're reluctant to move it out of New South Wales? I mean, that seems to be what I'm feeling. I think we've seen that broadcasting can be done remotely in this time. The the AFL and the NRL have had broadcasters working from Sydney, but games across the whole country. I think what it is mm. is um. They're stuck in a really difficult position being right at the end of the season and coupled with the fact that um, the, the collective bargaining agreement um, that governs all of the all of the contracts runs out at the end of August. Um, and so they're, they're really coming down to the deadline now such that if they moved to Queensland or if they moved even to New Zealand, they would have to do a, a two-week quarantine and that would basically make um, fitting in the remaining fixtures before that sort of hard deadline of, of the end of August almost impossible. Uh, and so I think really that's it. So I think yep. it, I think if we see a lockdown in New South Wales, that that's really going to be it for the league. Like they're they're really on their last chance to to finish out this season. So it's got, that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Yeah, and I, uh, talking about the collective bargaining agreement, I, I think the A League are playing with like a two day buffer. The grand final is two days before the collective bargaining agreement um, is due to finish. So yeah, there's no wiggle there's room. There's no wiggle room at all. They're at their max capacity. All right, coming up next, Premier League match day 36. Perez. Thomas. Perez. Leicester in front. Vardy. Vardy getting away from Lundstrom. Damari Gray, who beats Henderson and makes it 2-0. A 2-0 success for Brendan Rodgers' team. They put the pressure back on Manchester United in the race for a Champions League place. At the King Power Stadium, it's finished. Leicester City 2, Sheffield United 0. All right, so Leicester have snapped a two-game winless run to hang on to that fourth spot with a 2-0 win over Sheffield United. Sheffield, meanwhile, stay in eighth on 54 points. Damo, what's happened to Sheffield? Well, to be honest, before this Leicester game, um, we've been playing brilliant football and uh, I I don't really have much else to say apart from, you know, Chris Wilder, I think, summed it up summed up the performance against Leicester perfectly in his press conference after the game. He um, he just said, we were horrible. Um, he criticized the team for being really poor, undeserving of anything from the first minute of the game. And he kind of, you know, there's there's being candid in interviews and, and then there's Chris Wilder and he, he called out the players and went on a little bit of a rant and, and said, well, 
realistically, there are a bunch of League One and Championship footballers playing in the Premier League, and when they don't listen to me and they want to be individuals, this is what happens. So he, he wasn't very happy, and in in all respects, he's he's right. Um, and it, it just seemed that way that, you know, it, it kind of got to the players' heads a little bit, a couple of results against Wolves and Spurs in the last week. So is it the case that Sheffield can't finish higher than sixth now? I think that might be the case. Yeah, I think the points gap is, is a big, you know, well, there's only two games to go and I think they're, what, eight points off the top four or something like that now given that result. But uh to be honest, and and I think every Sheffield United fan would say that they, however the season finishes, we could lose the next two games, and it's not really going to put a dampener on how the season's gone. And if if anything, I would I would prefer to finish outside of the Europa League spots and and not have to deal with that next season, while managing a much tougher Premier League campaign with second second season syndrome. Still a fantastic campaign, yeah. Considering it's their first season back up in the in the Premier League. Uh, many many people uh, tipped them to go straight back down. Uh, we won't we won't name any names, um, but um, yeah, it's uh, just to go back to those predictions. <laughs> we'll we'll be checking the tapes, listeners, uh, when we do our Premier League review um, after the Premier League finishes. So uh, look out for that one at the start of August. That episode um, should be an interesting one. Um, but boys, I just wanted to just wanted to explore. We we often talk about them. We often talk about like um, you know top six finishes in in the Premier League and who's going to get those um, Champions League and European footballing spots. Um, and and when we talk about the A League, we talk about who's going to make finals. We don't we don't really pay much attention to the Asian Champions League, probably as we should. But what what if the what if the Premier League had finals and Sheffield in their first season, um, you know, could make the top six and and potentially um, win the league? Would you be happy with that, Damo? Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think like that final system um, is another reason why that makes a championship so exciting is that every season there's teams that are battling for that top six to go to playoffs for a spot at the, the Premier League. And it just makes things a little, little bit more interesting. And, you know, as Australians, our sport and New Zealanders, our sport is based around a finals campaign and a grand final. And, it's kind of what we've grown up knowing. So I think we find that really exciting. Oh, it'd be amazing if they would have a little cup sort of thing at the end. Obviously, I don't think English or European fans would ever buy into it, though. It would never happen. But, um, Jesse, what about the other side of the equation? What about um, if, if they did have finals and, and Sheffield um, got to a final uh, against Liverpool? Liverpool have been the best team all season and then the wheels fall off and, and the 30-year wait continues. Um, how, how would you feel? <laughs> well, um, put bluntly, I'd feel like a knife had been put in my um, ball sack, Colby. Thanks for asking. But um, I think <laughs> um, I, I think on another level, to be honest, I think... What what I struggle with a little bit about the final system is that outside of football, obviously, I've followed a lot of rugby union and league growing up, and um, I, I get it in those codes. I kind of get why um, late in the season, a team that can kind of been out of form um, surges back into the top eight, gives himself a chance of finals, and then if you're good enough, because you know the whole basis of that system is that if you're in the top four, you get an extra life. Whereas if your place is five, six, seven, and eight, you get one chance to to win, and if not, you're knocked out, right? So 
I, I think that it's exciting on that level that, you know, obviously if you're eighth first first, you're you're up against it already. And if you win that and you go on to win the uh, competition, then you deserve it. I get that. But with, with football, I kind of have a more traditional stance where I love the, the, the sprint to the finish. And I, I think the cup competitions kind of take care of that other aspect of, of other things to play for during the season. I feel like Sheffield United, if they're not finishing in the top six, they've always got those cups to, to play for something else as well. And just on the uh, on the European spots, boys, um, a few other matches had uh, European implications uh, with United in pole position to hold on to at least a European uh, Europa League spot uh, for next season after that 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. Um, you had Rashford um, sending Patrick Van Arnhold for a free school dinner Um with um, the seventh <laughs> goal of the season, originally awarded against United, overturned by VAR, uh, leaving United on uh, 62 points, six points above Wolves in seventh. Uh, Wolves, meanwhile, uh, their Champions League chances took a blow after a dubious late Mike Dean penalty converted by Chris Wood uh, costed them crucial points um, in their push for a European spot next season. Uh, and we had that worldie from Jimenez as well in that match. Uh, meanwhile, Giroud seals an uninspiring win for Chelsea as they hung on to third spot. Boys, Sal Talks Soccer on Twitter asks, who's picking up that final European spot? If you're going purely on form, it's, look, it's wow. looking like Burnley are just grinding out results to get themselves up there. Yeah, God, it's it's it's. It, I think what's so. I mean, for me, being a neutral, not having any of those teams, um, not not being a supporter of any of those teams, um, how good is the final week going to be? You know, like my teams playing Newcastle when essentially a dead rubber, but um, those other teams, like is it is it Man United and Leicester on the final? Yeah, day? that's going to be huge. I mean, that's you know, that's that's great entertainment, great entertainment value. So um, I don't know if I've got an answer there. I, I think that if you look at the form, I feel like unless we see another Southampton kind of result. I feel like Man United have kind of got the irresistible form to finish. But in saying that, Chelsea look like they're starting to get a bit um, more dogged and hold on to that spot. So, I mean, I honestly thought a few weeks ago that Leicester was just going to slide right out um, of the, um, especially after some of the results, like the Bournemouth result. So, I, I, honestly, I can't pick it at this stage. It's just going to be great entertainment. Yeah. I, I think... Um... I don't know the exact numbers, but I remember reading a, a stat on Twitter that said that when Project Restart happened, when the Premier League came back after COVID, that Leicester were like nine or 10 points above Manchester United and had a 15 better goal difference or something like that. And now it's down to um, one point and three, goal three goals or something. Yeah, yep. it's it's very tight. Three and points, then like three goals, Jesse, yeah. that... Yep. That that match on the on the last um, on the last day is is really going to be one to watch. Uh, two teams who know whether they're going to be in Europe next season or not are Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, with um, after a dominant start, I guess, and going a goal up, um, a big mistake each from Virgil Van Dijk and Allison gifted Arsenal two goals uh, in a game featuring David Luiz and two of the most assured defensive players in the game. It's very surprising where the brain fades came from in this one. So. Pre-restart, people were talking about records and Liverpool being the best team in a generation, only to get tonked by Man City, drew with Burnley and lost to Arsenal. Uh, life comes at you pretty fast. Jesse, is this a big deal? And do 100 points or records really even matter? I, I think if we were Man City and you just stacked and really on your day you can just beat anybody by five or six goals, I, I think I'd be probably quite disappointed. But 
we've actually looked like at times aside from maybe like one result since we've been back i feel like we've struggled for goals and um our reliance on going out wide to to trent and, and robo has meant that the teams that have been compact and disciplined i mean even arsenal we made them look like a good defense earlier this week because they just simply put numbers behind the ball so for me i think the obvious thing is is that they're going to need to find a way to go through the middle i like to see direct football and i like to see players like Keita just running into a small space and just going direct and i think that's um i think klopp once he sort of understood that there was going to be i mean way back at the atletico madrid game there was there was worrying signs to do with to do with the inability to get through the a tight defense so i actually wonder if klopp's just tinkering with us now and looking at getting a bit of a plan b for next season and I mean, it's not very often you have a couple of games in this kind of uh, example where you can actually use them as like preseason games because there aren't going to be preseason games considering how quickly the season changes over. So you may as well use these fixtures to tinker with things. And I know that seems like a convenient excuse because uh, at the end of the day, we did uh, give away a couple of poor errors. But um, I, I just don't think many people are going to be losing sleep in the Liverpool camp at the moment. I think it's more focused on next season and, and, and lifting the trophy against Chelsea. I mean, I'm impartial to this this situation of Liverpool's, you know, last few weeks compared to you guys. But I don't want to speak for you. But, Colby, if we go back to what you said in our Premier League preview episode that you, you know, not verbatim, but that you would give give away or give up any other trophies that you've won, the, the Champions League, the FA Cup, a treble, any of this just to win the Premier League this season. So I think... All this talk and all these other fans on Twitter and social media that are like, "Oh, you didn't. You thought you were going to win a treble. You thought you were going to break the record. You thought you were going to do this, but you only won the Premier League. Since when has only winning the Premier League become only the Premier League? Especially when you haven't won it in thirty something years. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a bloody. Na- it's a bloody narrative, mate. It's a bloody narrative. <laughs> narrative police out there. Um, and but big performance from Arsenal. Defensively, though, um, they, they faced 24 shots um, in this game and, and obviously only conceded the one goal. Their new look back three have only conceded four goals in their last seven games, including that FA Cup over Man City this morning at time of recording. Damo, is it as simple as sticking David Luiz in a back three and having having two other centre-backs babysitting? I, I just think this is the, the first little period of time where Arteta and Emery before him have able to have a consistent backline with the same players game after game. And the fact that they've had so many games in quick succession has just mean that they've been able to just build and build and build on something with the same players. Arsenal are one of those teams this year where they were just rotating and rotating and trying to find something. And just like Chelsea, they, they, they've been trying and tinkering with different things at the back to find what works. And Arteta's hit something and something has clicked with these three players and it's working right now, so why change it? And would you say that maybe it's to do with the fact that, you know, comparing the back three to a sandwich, um, if David Luiz is kind of like a cheap ham and, and doesn't really, it's not really up to grade, um, you know, he finds himself between two excellent pieces of sourdough, Colby, and um, that really lifts the sandwich and lifts the game of the team. Surely David Luiz is mortadella. He's <laughs> got a few holes he, in him. no... Bit cheesy. He's no, he's no cured. He's no cured Serrano meat though, is he? <laughs> no, come on. It was turning into like a meat podcast. Come <laughs> <laughs> ha- on, Louise. Well, whatever, whatever he's, whatever he's done, uh, you know, he's, he's really cured oh, the God. problems at the back. <laughs> 
Uh, elsewhere at the bottom of the table, meanwhile, uh, Villa remain in 19th after coming within 15 minutes of three points away at Everton. Uh, but it wasn't to be when Theo Walcott, of all people, headed home a last-minute equaliser. Before we talk about the last two match days and the teams fighting for survival, who's picking up Grealish, boys, if Villa don't make it? He's got Arsenal written all over him for me. Yeah, I don't Arsenal think... needs someone like him. He needs a club like Arsenal. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the, the Man United links are a little bit out of date because they're all sort of pre-Bruno days, I reckon. So I reckon that... Um, I reckon yep. Man United have kind of got what they need in that regard now. So I'd say he's probably better to go to, to, to Arsenal. Um, yeah, that, that would be my pick as well. <laughs> three from three, boys. I, I completely agree. I think he's it, he's got Arsenal written all over him. He's, he's just just that kind of player, particularly with um, with Ozil on the out. I mean, he's a bit bit more seems a bit more direct um, and, and got a bit more grit about him than Ozil. But um, yeah, seems like seems like they're kind of player. Uh, now let's look at the uh, other two teams battling to stay up. Um, you had uh, Bournemouth wasteful in that 2-1 defeat at City with Callum Wilson missing two absolute sitters by his standards. Um, two games to go for Bournemouth. Uh, West Ham uh, did Bournemouth and Villa a favour with uh, that 3-1 win over Watford, which leaves just three points between them and Bournemouth and Villa, all fighting for that one uh, Premier League place. So on the on the last couple of match days for each of those teams, boys, you've got Watford have City and Arsenal, Bournemouth have Southampton and Everton, and Villa have Arsenal and West Ham. Who's getting that last spot to stay safe? I actually think that Bournemouth uh, Bournemouth will finish above Watford here, and a huge thing for Watford was they lost three nil against, uh, but you know its goal difference is hugely important now. That brought them, I think, only one goal difference and three points better than Bournemouth, who have got a far easier run in than they do. Um, if, if you're Watford, you're looking at those two fixtures and figuring out where you're getting any points. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it? I, I honestly thought Watford were um, uh, were in such a better position. And I, I guess that was probably me assuming that the West Ham game was going peter, gonna to peter out to a one-all draw or something. But West Ham pulling out a result there really has thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, I, th- I, I think you're absolutely right, um, Damo, what you said before. Bournemouth have got the easier fixtures with um, Southampton and Everton. Um, Villa are going to have to get something against Arsenal, who we just mentioned um, uh, are newly looking pretty solid. And, and even West Ham is is looking even more like even tougher for them on the last day for Villa. And Watford, meanwhile, with um, with City and Arsenal, it's it's looking... Pretty unlikely that either of those guys will, will get anything out of those games. So it's 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 really Bournemouth to lose at this point, I would say. Yep. We'll of course uh, keep you up to date with the relegation battle over the final two match days. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today, everyone. Thanks again for listening, uh, and don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also slide into our emails anytime at mtagpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as we mentioned, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, get around us at More Than A Game Podcast on Facebook or at MTag Podcast on Twitter. Next week, we'll be back to wrap up the final matches of the Premier League and follow on the A-League Festival of Football. In the meantime, enjoy the football. Enjoy the football.